welcome to the Inside Joe. Today we have one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done. We got to talk to Glenn, who was incredible uh, throughout this interview. We asked him some tough questions um, and went through what it was like being alone in the wilderness for 30 days. Uh, We talk about his beliefs about the afterlife um, and also what it's like being a white man in today's climate. Andre and Nura are also in this one, and we have a ton to get to. So let's just grab your favorite drink and enjoy. I want to go through some, you know, five or six questions. Okay. You know me. I'm going to throw in some real haymakers over here. So just be ready <laughs> and, and alert. And uh, here we go. First question. What, what is the craziest, most daring thing you've ever done in your life, Glenn? Shite. I studied abroad in Venezuela, and we were there, and we were in Los Pla- or Los Llanos, so the, like the plains, and we we're fishing for piranhas. Mm-hmm. And as we we're fishing, like one of our guides, like Venezuelan dude, just runs and does a cannonball into the river that we're fishing for piranhas in, and he's like giggling and splashing us. We're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and you could like see alligators, like within like. 50 yeah. feet and he's like joking and we're all like fuck it let's do it and so we jumped into the oh, river and, and swam across <laughs> the river you swam across the river? yeah there was like maybe eight of us that did it and it was Oof. like the most panicked like someone's like toe would touch you because we're all trying to stay together and you're like oh my god it's a prana and we swam across and then we had to we had a celebratory moment and then swam. We had to swim back had to swim across. Back. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like you spent a lot of time in Latin America, no? Yeah, I think I've spent at least, like in total, over two years of my life in Latin America. Studied abroad in Venezuela for five months and then uh, taught in Colombia, lived there for a year. And then I, I went down and just backpacked for like four, five months. And that was like five or six countries started in Argentina and traveled north. Nur and I are watching Narcos. Um, <laughs> we're watching Narcos right now, and obviously it's about uh, Pablo Escobar. Um, and in, you know, obviously Colombia is really featured in that. Um, did you feel any of that? I don't, I don't know much of the history of drug trade there, but I, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't brush up on your drug I mean, trade. I mean, I, yeah. I honestly probably could. If I lived in Medellin, I would have. But. Um, right. Uh, cause that was like where he was at and I only went there once. And I think you could kind of feel like that almost like mafiosa kind of feel in Medellin, but no, I, I didn't, I mean, I never, I only got robbed twice in one year and, (laughs) and it wasn't like ever, it wasn't ever anything terrible and, uh, it was never anything drug related. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that was cool about Colombia is, like, they were so used to being stigmatized as, like, this mm-hmm. dangerous-ass Pablo Escobar land. And that has been changing, and now they're quite safe. But when I was there, which was, like, five years ago, they were still, like, couldn't believe a gringo, a white dude, was there in some place and be like, oh, my gosh, your hair, like, like aren't you scared? Like, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And they were just, like so overjoyed that like someone from the u.s would come and like they were always like we got you and they were just like really over the top in their welcoming spirit and hospitality what was your fondest memory fondest memory in colombia yes for like seven months i taught taught on a um a at a coal mine up in the northeast like right on the border of venezuela very bizarre situation um it was great they paid me well and i the weird thing about it is they this is one of the biggest companies in colombia but they're in the middle of the desert in bufu nowhere colombia and so they would they built like a u.s suburb fenced off in the middle of the desert with like swimming two swimming pools an olympic size like surrounded just by by native yu like a tribe of colombia um and mostly like pretty poor little pueblas and uh i was just kind of like man i really am not in colombia to live in 
like forest or whatever. Yeah. I'm not here to live in yeah. a U.S. suburb yeah. right now. Like, yeah, this weird. is kind of <laughs> sucky. But I, it was like such a cool opportunity. It was only 45 minutes from the coast, and so, and they're gonna pace so well. And and I got to meet some of my teachers. Like I was, I got to teach like the vice president of one of the biggest companies in Columbia, and just go hang out and eat lunch with them. But I was just like, this is so not Columbia. Like I'm not here to be this. And so throughout my time, I was very deliberate of making friends with the miners or just like the regular folk. And there was a mm. town just outside that, outside the gate that I would go and hang out. And uh, I made friends with a bunch of the guys there. And uh, one day, one of the like executives, managers had me over for a uh, for a nice little wine and pasta like we were listening to classical music and his kids were there and his wife was wearing a nice dress and I had a button up and just like having a a good old time and uh and hung out for a few hours is one of my my favorite students I ever had and after that finished um I was like okay like I gotta go I got I got plans to go hang out with my friends in town and I went straight from that straight to and I, I don't condone this but it was my first time ever straight to a cockfight like in like the <laughs> back of like a dusty weird lot in the town next like right outside yeah, nice and just like getting <laughs> hammered on beer and like what I mean it's disgusting it's terrible but it's like the juxtaposition of like going from there to that and both those friends like I love dearly and they they gave me like two incredibly unique experiences in Colombia, um, and so one and day. I really like <laughs> those, and especially those two friends, like really epitomize why I love Colombia so much. Because I and my time there, because I got to have, I got to make like real friends. Whereas in the past, I was always just a traveler passing through when I was in Latin America, minus Venezuela, of course. But so, um, so what I got from that is that Glenn hates animals. So yeah, if you guys want to write me an email, I'll let you know where he lives. <laughs> Dude, it was my. I don't know if you guys ever been to one because it is really. I I first time brutal? I had no brutal? idea what I was getting into. Yeah. Is that popular there though? Like is, I mean, is for like, like compass, you know, like country folks, yeah, for okay. certain, yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was just did there, did you bet? No, no. <laughs> that, was the, like, that was the crazy. hung out on the outskirts. No, but that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. You were saying that. I, yeah, we've I've never been to one. Like, what is what was yeah. it like? Like, it's it's, it sounds crazy to it's me. It's terrible. It's so terrible. Yeah. It, I mean, and it almost like what just watching the humans around it is the most interesting because they're like frantically ravenously cheering on like yeah. an animal mm-hmm. killing another animal right. and like these poor birds are just so clueless and they don't know what the hell and they're i mean they just get very bloody and they die and it's just like Jeez. it's terrible why would you say columbia would be the spot to go to um the people are so delightful i think it, when i was there they were voted friendliest country in the world wow. i think like wow. for two years in a row or something really? and it's That's so true, true. I've gone to festivals where I ended up like staying an extra day to stay in the house of some random Colombian that I met. (laughs) And that just like put me up because they're just like that lovely. I feel like some people that are listening right now are like, yeah, well, Chicago, no, (laughs) hell no. But you know, when people do think about Columbia, they still have that stigma of it's a dangerous town. It's it's a, it's a drug cartel and all that stuff. They hadn't had tourists. They haven't had like outsiders there for a while, so that added to it a lot. But anytime I'd go out or like do anything, like people just like approach you on the street and like mm-hmm. pour you a shot of aguardiente and just like it sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like and it's a it's one of the I think it um, next to Brazil or maybe even over Brazil mm. the most biodiverse p- per square meter. Glenn, this is something I've I've always wondered because you seem like a man with many mysteries of stories. <laughs> manly man, yeah, manly man. I love to travel, love to do things. <laughs> Mr. Glenn, what would you say were possibly the the one or two books that influenced your life the most? 
Um, wow. Leaves the Grass by Walt Whitman. And uh, that's the guy from Breaking Bad, right? He is. He plays a profound role in it. Yeah. Which I just finished that show like last week. Um, but also, I mean, it's the same vein. But um, Walden by Henry David Thoreau. I read that book when I was like eighteen, and it just yeah. It like when you're talking about like a book that hit you. I was. I just couldn't believe what was happening before my eyes when I read each word. And it it's so much influence. I, I can't even think of the human I would be without having read that so book like, at 18. Obviously not me, but for those that have not read that book, <laughs> can you explain why that had such a great influence? So the, the whole thing is Henry David Thoreau, I, I think it was written like mid-1800s, and he, he left. Um, he went out and built a cabin in the woods, and he lived there for two-plus years or something. And it's, it's, I mean, and I, most, a lot of people make fun of this book or it's just like, it's almost just like easily dismissed and like laughable and it is fairly laughable. I get that. But, um, he, he's just like very much about communing with nature and simplicity in life and just stepping back from, uh, communal society and looking at it and seeing like how simple life can be, um, and he just does such a great job. And there's there's parts where he just like talks about like hone his beans in the in his little garden. Like and, and it can be kinda boring for sure, but he he just like he gets so philosophical about so many things. He has a, a chapter, I believe, on reading and just on Is there like a podcast things. version I can listen to? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll make it for you. No, but um yeah, and, and I know we talked about this last time, but I want everyone. I want to kind of go a little deeper about that because um, you, you talk about Walden, but also uh, and Whitman. Uh, but you lived in the wilderness for thirty goodness. days. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, that's another one where I I have a whole journal we could dog days on. But uh, I went. I I think fairly inspired by Walden, but just I I always dreamt of going to the wilderness and being like maybe not even self-sustainable, but just like being by myself and being reflective and becoming this like elevated, like intellectual Buddha, like higher level self. Um, and I went to, uh, like back country of Sequoia, which is out in California. And it was like maybe five or six miles into the back country off of the park road, which the park was mostly closed at that time. Um, and yeah, just, I, I set the goal to be there for 30 days straight. I was just like, I want to do at least a month. And after like four days, I was like, fuck this. I hate this. This yeah. is straight misery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't get much better. It, and it, it's, wow. it's one of the most profound lessons I ever learned. So much really defines the way I look at things. And I think it, like even when I talk about how much I love the city because there's, there are, um, I mean, I, a part of it was like, I was, I didn't have much money, so I didn't have a lot of food. So I was pretty hungry. I'd never had fasted before. So I did a five day fast, no food, only water. That's rough. And just like, I would just be dreaming of hamburgers and it was kind of cold. It was February as a little bit of altitude. Um, but I just like, I missed humans so bad. I was so lonely and it, it made me so sad to know because I thought I would go and like reflect on myself and become this better human. And really all I, 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 most of my time was spent thinking about the people I missed and like being around people I love, which I I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that. I think it's just because I'm so habitual to that. So that would, that's why it was hard. Maybe if I gave myself more time, but I mean, I, by day seven, I was definitely marking the days on the calendar and I, and I could have left at any, obviously nothing's holding me there, but I made up and I kind of get that thing. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to freaking do it. And, um, I, it was, there was a point and I, it's like, this such a defining moment where I'm sitting on, I, I was I know I was camped I mean in Sequoia National Park like the most beautiful, beautiful. trees I have snow capped mountains out my tent I'm camped on top of like a 60 foot waterfall like there's my camp 
and then there's a rock and then the water yeah. falls and I, that's where i get my water from every day and like i'm just like living this magical existence and something that i always dreamt of i i worked in offices as a youngin and i just like always hated i was just like i need to be in nature right now and uh i think it was like three weeks in and i was sitting on my sunny rock because it got pretty cold and i need to like soak up as much warmth as i could during the during the day and uh and I'm sure I have this in my journal somewhere, but I just said, fuck you, nature. I don't even fucking like you anymore. You're a piece of shit. I, like, I just want to be in a city. I want. I actually desired to breathe bus exhaust. That's like a very, like an, a memory I, I have. Like I wanted bus exhaust. I wanted to be in like a club that was full of people and sweating and like dancing with Lily, my love, <laughs> and just like being drunk and smoking cigarettes and just being debaucherous. Like that's all I wanted. And I was like, fuck nature, fuck this peace and oneness in the world. I hate this. Because you purged. You like you literally purged all the city life for 30 days. And you're basically thrown and thrusted into an area where you feel like this is what i wanted right know? yeah you so i want, dreamt of you want what you don't have i yeah. used to like sit in that office job in college and be a beautiful summer day and look outside oh, yeah. and i was in a cube and i just like look out i'm like i am the biggest waste of life right now like why am i not out there right. living in nature right now this is so stupid and then i got there i'm like yeah i mean I, like you you want what you don't have type of thing but also like it's just, it's not easy either. I mean, you're cold and hungry and yeah. lonely, and the loneliness is the biggest thing, dude. And that's where I, that's part of the reason why I love the city is because, like, right. my people, like, these are my people, and, like, this is, community. it is community. And I, yeah. I really do believe that that's, and I mean, most scientists will tell you too, like, that's what we're built for, that's yeah. what we're here for. I think you like read about people with like Thoreau had a bunch of visitors, so it's not like he was out at Walden like on his own for two years. But I think we romanticize this idea of going off to like the cave or the mountain and like being all super zen. And I definitely did, and I still find tremendous value in that. But even now, like when I do it, I'm just like, yeah, I'm ready to be with my friends. Let's say you transition your life to be in the wilderness, to be in nature, but when you have also your community with you, I feel like that would make it so much more rewarding and so much easier for you to transition if you had the people that you wanted to be with. Yeah, I Definitely. totally agree with that because I think it's like when you're looking at something beautiful, you immediately like look around and you're like, who can I share this with? Like. Or you want to call somebody, you know, mm -hmm. over and be like, hey, come check out this. And then million if you're there and you don't have anybody, it's just you, it, you, you know, witnessing it. You don't have anybody to do that with. I think sharing it, like connection is really like a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's probably and you know what? You're right. We do romanticize that because I do that a lot. Oh, we all like, do, I do that yeah. a lot where I'm just like, I just want to go out there. I think by myself, I'd be fine. But I think I'm I'm really just playing myself because <laughs> when I get a, out there, I think I feel the same way. Like, well, that's a this. that's a funny just thing. A cheeseburger and a talk to a friend, you know. Dude, cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburgers, goodness, that's all I wanted. I dreamt the cheeseburgers. I chewed them. Like I woke up chewing them in my dreams. <laughs> that's amazing. But uh, it's so true, though, Audrey. Yeah. That's just like and it, like that story. Like people always ask me about that and they're so intrigued by it because i think we all have this romanticism behind it and that's why i love having this experience to like check people be like i know i know it sounds so cool and it was fucking cool it changed me in so many awesome ways and it was great but it was mostly suck ass it mostly <laughs> fucking sucked and i was mostly sad and lonely and pathetic. <laughs> and I know, like, from the last time you and I chatted about this, a big takeaway was your love for people. Like, I think when you came back from that, you realized, that it's, and obviously knowing you now, it seems like it's stuck with you, that your love for people is definitely, like, I could see it. Like, you do, and you have much more patience with people than I do. Um, and if you could kind of just talk about that, because... I could use some more of that as far as patience with people 
that annoy you because I feel like that time in the wilderness really gave you a, a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, I will. I don't know even know if it gave me a different perspective. Beside, more so, just like helped me realize that this is me. Like people would, I I used to think I was an introvert. Like I used, to, and I don't I don't even know much about how those introvert extrovert are defined. But I I always knew that I very much enjoyed being by myself and like the writing and reading thing. Like like solidified that. And I and that's why I thought this was gonna be such a magical experience because I'm like fucking finally get away from all the noise of all these relationships and friends and city and everything, and be by yeah. myself. I'm like, oh fuck, actually, no, this is like that's like the most opposite of who I am, and it's always been there, and it's it's so true. And we were talking earlier about like like as a young and like struggling with awkwardness and like. I was just like very shy, like quiet, like fairly awkward, and I, I'm not really sh- sure where that shifted. But I, I do just, I, there's really nothing more beautiful than humanity. Like that is, that's, I mean, snowy mountains are beautiful and prairies are beautiful. But I, even that bike ride I was doing, like from the south side last night, just looking at the people in the neighborhoods and like seeing it, and that's just that's profoundly. Beautiful, and the, and the connections that we make are so much more powerful than any sort of natural beauty. So I think now is a good time to talk about uh, this organization that Glenn created about five years ago uh, called Outer Front Door. I know it's something that you're super passionate about, obviously. Um, if you could just kind of talk about why you're so passionate about it um, and what you guys do. Yeah, the whole the whole mission is to immerse and educate people in local nature and history via bike adventures. And so kind of going back to, our, I was talking with Nur earlier and she was like, there's just no nature here. And I was like, that's how I've always felt. And growing up in Chicago, like I love nature and I felt like I had to fly down to Columbia or fly out to Sequoia to connect with nature. But while I was gone the whole time, and I went traveling for like three years, and I was away from the city most of that time, and that, and this is where I was born and raised, and this is my spot, and I just was always being called back to it, and I knew I had to come back, but I just, I knew that when I came back, I had to find the beauty in my home, and I had to um, keep that adventure spirit alive, because as we study abroad, or we teach abroad, or we travel, like there's just this wide-eyed glow to your existence of like i'm fucking getting after today i'm gonna go explore an adventure and i was my biggest fear was to come home and be just like a nine to five slug that hated his life that was surrounded in the city with no nature and i just fucking hated everything about it so me and one of my my best buds who traveled with me for part of that and we grew up on the south side together we're just like we have to keep that adventure spare alive and we have to um, find the beauty of our home. And so I came home and I said I wouldn't leave the state of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, or Wisconsin for two years, and I didn't. And I mostly just rode my bike around, and I did it. Like, I succeeded. I found the beauty of our home, and I the beauty of the prairie and of the oak savanna and the marsh and obviously Lake Michigan and just loved it so much that I just had to share it. Like, I couldn't just hold this in me, and I, and I really wanted to help my neighbors and my fellow Chicagoans and Chicagolanders to wake up to that fact that there yeah. is a lot of natural beauty here. This is the second most biodiverse area in the country, second only to the Everglades. I had no idea. Right, and you just got to, like, really, and it, and part of it, too, is, I mean, the organization is called Out Our Front Door, and the whole idea is that an adventure always lies out your front door. You don't have to get on a plane or go to some majestic, beautiful wilderness to have an adventure. You can walk out your door on a Saturday morning, ride your bike to nature, and have an adventure. And uh, that's where it came from. We just finished up uh, five years, and we had over wow. like awesome. three hundred people bike camp with us last year. And we, you know, we got whole scripts and spiels where we teach about, you know, welcome to Lake Forest. Here's some fun facts or check out this oak tree. Here's a really cool fact about this 
ecosystem we're in. Um, and really just teaching people that you can, I mean, there's so much profound personal growth and adventure. I mean, yeah. that's like at the base of a lot of what we're talking about is like the adventure of going to live in the wilderness or to go study abroad or live abroad or whatever. And knowing that you can have that profound growth on a weekend adventure and also make those connections with people that are on the adventure with you. And you specifically help uh, youth that are like from the city, right? Yeah, we do some yeah. of that. Yeah. So we have like four or five programs. We do a lot of adult overnights and we do family overnights where families bring like their one year old or 10 year old kids and we go bike camp. Um, and then we do youth programs where we teach them about how to bike camp. Mostly, I mean, at this point, we're pretty bootleg where we just like strap a yeah. milk crate to the back of their bike and figure out how to <laughs> shove a tent and sleeping bag into it. And we, we actually took a, a group of youth out to Indiana Dunes, which is like a 60-mile ride, and we were all just riding milk wow. crate style. Wow. <laughs> just like super bootleg, but making shit happen, and it, it was a profound experience uh, for sure. So, we, yeah, we do that, and then we also do like – trips just like a few hours ago do environmental service in local habitats or like park district or county parks or whatever that's awesome that, that really is that's good stuff next year we're gonna start an adaptive cycling so for people with disabilities so that they can get out and bike camp uh together and eventually immerse that into our regular programs to like get adaptive or, or people with disabilities into like regular flow of like yeah. other non-disability people on bike trips and camping and being outside and connecting on the adventure and around the campfire and that's, making memories and that's honestly incredible because i think myself i you know i've lived in other places but I, and then chicago's home but i had no idea that there are places that we could do this you know um cause that's you, why i want to fight you later <laughs> oh, someone's had too much to drink. <laughs> I'm, I'm all but, about this, by the way. <laughs> but but if someone wants to kind of like volunteer or help or donate anything, is there like a link or something? Can we provide a link at the end of this or, or something? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's just oofd.org. Out our front door. Uh -huh. Oofd.org. Yeah, and I'll I'll add that to the That's link cool. uh, to this episode if anyone wants, you know, just thinks this is pretty cool and want to be a part of it or, Thanks, or help dude. out. Yeah, no, I didn't know cool. we were gonna plug this. No, yeah, I mean this is, this is awesome. Yeah. What if just like a regular guy like me wants to go on one of these? Is that that? I mean, cool that's cool? like that's the beauty of it, Andre. Is we and this is something that we're we've always been, but we're trying to yeah. be even more deliberate. Is we really pride ourselves in being radically inclusive. Mm -hmm. So, like, we've had people that have shown up on the most bootlegged, <laughs> busted-ass bike, and they want to ride, like, 50 miles with us, and we ain't going to tell anybody right, no. Right. And they'll say, like, I've ridden five miles is the longest I ever rode. That's but there's, like, certain rides where that's, like, we ride 110 yeah. miles to rock. That's not acceptable. We'll tell you. And wow. That, so that, you I mean, are, that kind of, like... You guys are really going. Well, we do like, that, but then we do some that are only crazy. like 25 miles like down to cook county has camping now that's in there so a million percent you could just show up and and that's that's really what we pride ourselves on is like anyone is welcome mm -hmm. and as guides like we totally just emulate like we just vibrate welcomeness and like yeah, we will awesome. get you there we will do everything in our power to get you there and if you can't mm -hmm. the beauty of riding around here one it's super flat so you're not like climbing mountains yeah. or huge hills. And two, you're never really more than five miles from a train. So yeah, if your yeah. knee bust or your <laughs> bike is you broken, need to call it quits. <laughs> right, you can get on that. So peace out. <laughs> yeah. So there's um. That's cool. But our guides are just like there to help and support. And we we had a dude show up on a tricycle, like wow. a beat up old oh, tricycle, gosh. and he rode fifty five miles up oh, to Illinois gosh. Beach State Park. Um, and he was talking like he actually has a dream of riding across the U.S. But that was the longest he'd ever taken his trike. And uh, but yeah, we I mean, and then we also have like you know messenger type people that are just super fit, badass, or like even yeah. spandex people. And you know, it's, what about it's what about people that have not ridden a bike a lot but with spandex, like Joe, like me? 
Oh, that's million percent welcomed. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do a photo shoot one next year, so we got to get you on that one. All right. No, but we're trying to also, like, we're going to be more deliberate about uh, making our rides more reflect the diversity of Chicago because I lived in Logan Square for a long that's time and a lot of the bike communities up on the north side, so that's where a lot of our, we draw a bunch of our riders, but we're going to be more deliberate about starting on the south side and west side. And I have a dream that we are going to do in the next five years, do start a bike ride out of each of our 77 neighborhoods in Chicago and get at least one local of that neighborhood on each ride. Wow. Wow. And again, again, the organization name is out our front door. So that's O O F D dot org. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess just transitioning, and this is a side note. Thanks did, for that, dude. No, that's nice. No, I mean that's incredible. That's really great that you do that, and this is not bullshit shit because I would, you know, I would feel too gross if it was bullshit. Glenn. <laughs> so ominous. So, how do you feel about death? Die, die. But how do you feel about death? Are you scared of the idea of dying? Um, and also, do you believe in an afterlife? So how do I feel about death? Not great. I don't feel very good <laughs> about that. Like, I really like being alive and being with people, and that's really the only thing I know. So like, not having that anymore makes me a little sad. Um, I'm working on it though. I'm, I'm working on it. I need to get to a place of acceptance cause that's where we're all going. But, um, I mean, I, I'm, I've grown up just like Roman Catholic and Irish Catholic. And that's just like, you go to the, the happiest place in the universe and all your family are there and it's great. And I, I imagine most, most people that I would ask this question to would answer it that way. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, and you, would you describe yourself as uh, agnostic? No, I, I think I, I, I've never officially made the transition away from Catholicism, so mm-hmm. I'm still that. I haven't had the the nuts enough to decide otherwise. But the more I think about it, I'm just like, yes, I actually believe in that. I, I have a lot of strong leanings toward Buddhism and Taoism too, but I mean, mm-hmm. I've never made the decision, yeah. and I feel like it. And, and that's the thing, it's like, there's certain dogmas of Catholicism that I just like blatantly reject. And so I guess I can't say I'm Catholic, mm. but uh, there's no doubt that it's like profoundly yeah. part of my, myself and my, my thoughts and uh, approaches to people. That's in the world. difficult. That's a difficult yeah. one because I think a lot of, especially in this generation feel the same way. Like we all have religions that we were raised in, but we don't possibly agree with everything, but it's also yeah. like, right can you pick and choose or maybe you just don't believe in that or et cetera. So it's really difficult to know where, you know, I think they call our generation, the age of it's better wording for this, but we're like very not religious, our generation. Oh yeah. That's the word they use. Wow. (laughs) I know what religion you are. Asshole. There's no doubt that any thought about afterlife is made up shit. Like, there's nobody that actually fucking died and then told you this. So it's like all just like part of a philosophy that went a little bit too far. And I get it. Like, we need we need some of that. Like, people need it. But at like at the end of the day, and this is like where I'm totally happy and content, and where my afterlife, I am so profoundly, I can't say excited for, but I'm I'm. I'm cool with this and I and you can't argue this. Like you can try to argue I'm not taking a philosophy too far. This is just what's going to happen is I'm going to be taking my my body that is no longer living will be laid into the earth and then it will spawn new life because we are part of the earth and That's like that will happen and at. like yeah. and I know that's even actually illegal and I don't care if I gotta go like up to some northwood shit and dig my own grave and go lay down in it but I'm gonna be but no but I'm, I'm gonna be I'm not gonna be exhumed I'm not gonna be any of that I'm gonna lay down in the earth and be covered in it and spawn new life because that's actually 
actually what all life either. is. I want to wear that mushroom suit, and I want to just be put placed in in the earth. Um, wait, you have a mushroom suit? <laughs> Not my mushroom suit, but you know, have you seen yeah, that TED talk about that that lady who wants to create that mushroom suit that eats eats your body up and feeds the earth? I like that. I, like I that. love that. What the I'll fuck? I'll send it to oh you. Oh my gosh, send this. So it's not like a mushroom print suit. No, it's, it's like actual, made out of mushrooms. Actual fungi. I, yeah. I, I'm that, calling like, her. That like removes all the toxins from your body that you've consumed already. Holy balls. And actually oh purifies. But I do want to. I do want to make a, a comment about um, religion and the afterlife. Yeah, because I feel like I mean you kind of touched on it a little bit that we do need to have some sort of answer <laughs> to what could possibly happen. Like we need to have a happy ending. Wait, needs or wants? We need to. Need? Psychologically, I feel like we need to in order for us to kind of make sense of, because I feel like it, when with uncertainty, like people can go crazy. Just, I, I think it's liberating to think of the idea that this is what you got. Because if you think that you're going to be born again and you're going to go to heaven with all your loved ones or whatever you, the afterlife that your religion teaches you, then I think you get a little bit of a pass to live a fuck-ass life or you don't get after it. And why not just get after it? Because there's like, if there, and this is another thing. This is another way. thing where it's like, another, you cannot deny this fact. Like, there's, you, you can try, but no, you can't even try to deny this fact. Is that if there's there's two ways that you can live on that you will live on, and I this is my answer for you, Joe. And you're not escaping this. You're coming yeah, back. Yeah, Joe. Don't but, live a um, One is the one is the being buried in the ground and growing. But second is that you will forever and always live on in the humans that live beyond you that you have interacted with. Like you, like the the I, if I died tomorrow then I will live on through you guys through this conversation, through our interactions. And that that is true immortality. There's a, I mean that that's that is why people are drawn to writing or drawn to like recording things. But even if you don't write or record shit, like the people that you interact with, every single moment that you interact is a a piece of this universe, a piece of this world, a piece of the people that you interact with that will point. continue on forever. So Until you are immortal die. in that sense. <laughs> and I re- I really feel like that's another reason like why the fuck not just get after it and just live with happiness and love and like give it to other people i mean what i would say with that is i think that attitude whether you believe there's an afterlife or not should be the attitude is why not just go after it because one is i don't think anyone is 100 percent certain about the afterlife oh there's a lot of people that are 100 percent certain (laughs) right right that's true there's a lot of people that like to say that they are um but either way roll the dice either way you should probably live life and go get at it like you're saying there's fucking guaranteed fact that my grandpa died four years ago and i'm living right now and i'm a living piece of him because he was such a profound human being and the impact that he had on my life made my life so much richer and made me such a better human and if i could do that for other people then what does it even fucking matter where i Mm -hmm. go after this it's so egotistical to think that i have to continue existing Fuck it. Like, I, I had my chance. Like, I lived. I got, I had that chance. That was cool. That was really fucking cool. And now I don't. And now these people get to. And that's such a blessing to be alive. The things you're saying are what I, I believe religion to be. You know what I mean? It's teaching me to be a good person. Right. To be the, a good person, not only to my fellow humans, you know, but to all living things around me, you know, mm-hmm. to everything around me, to treat it with respect, regardless of whether or not I understand it. And, mm. to, you know, to make sure that whether or not I still, ex- I am in existence, that I am leaving something behind that is good, you know? So regardless of, of you know, written teachings or, or names or prophets or whatever. I feel like that is really the core of it. It's just like, in a sense, programming us to be better, better uh, creatures in this world, a world that we're living in. I don't necessarily believe in every single thing we are taught because I feel like those things have probably been in existence for a very long time, going back to what I said, that they've been distorted in so many ways. I personally believe there is something out there that is 
um, maybe not like, I don't know. It's probably not something that we, we've been taught or that we understand. It's just something that is making this world run the way that it is, you know? So I don't know. It is, it's, it is connected with science. It is connected with the facts, but there's also something beyond that that is also working in parallel that I think about. But that, people uh, may disagree. That, no, that's a, that's a great point. If you connect it back to, I think, religion, at least in Islam, I know in Christianity too, you we're taught that we're made out of soil and, I don't know what else, soil and something else. I like that whole idea of what we're made of. And this is this is gets to my <laughs> spiritual connection with Lake Michigan. Your body, our bodies are at least 60% water, if not more. And if you live in Chicago, you're oh, drinking yeah, Lake more. Michigan. And so we all right now, you are more Lake Michigan than you are anything else. And so like if you that. can't get like <laughs> giddy about jumping into basically your your mother there's something wrong with you joe no it's just like it's that's like the whole idea of like what we're made i like the soil thing a lot because it's so true it's like the the sun energy comes down we eat it in whatever form we do but that's that's true but also we're fucking made out of water and we're sitting on the most sexy beautiful lake yeah in maybe the world i learned recently dust from the sahara desert from the sand travels thousands of miles all the way to the Americas and is in everything that we consume and we breathe. Here are my thoughts. <laughs> Let's, Joe, for real. Joe, I need to hear what Joe the disagrees. hell. Joe's like, I what the hell happens? Everything Every one said. of you is completely fucking wrong. <laughs> I feel like there has to be something more. I do. Right. And, yeah, and yeah. that is my ego. That is my ego. But I, I just, it's everything together. There's so many crazy things that happen that have been created in this earth. It's hard to believe that it just ends after that. I right. think that's no, something it's, that it's is impossible. Yeah, it's, that, it's hard to comprehend. Humanly that. that's impossible it. to fathom yeah. that, and that's why we make up these things. Which is all even crazier though, because for beings that always believe in like a start and a finish because we do believe like there's a beginning and end like we can't see like something going on forever but then when it comes to our own demise then we can all of a sudden (laughs) be like no there has to be a forever you know what i mean if bees die if they go extinct we're all fucked (laughs) like if one thing happens like we're all fucked if one thing changes everything changes it's a butterfly effect and i feel like that is why just because of because of everything that we've learned about the world around us so far it's like why why are there that's the thing though like i question everything that you've i i think about the things you've you've been thinking about this whole time as well but i'm also questioning you know the the other part of it i'm like okay but why is there why are things the way that they are why have we developed the way that we have why are we given these brains to think that way the way that we do and advance the way that we do for no reason to your point though i also i just I, there's a part of me and it might be just romantic uh, thought process but like it just feels like anything is possible and especially today it's hard to think that it's impossible that there's a heaven in general. I, I'm not willing to close anything out because it literally, I, I'm more than ever. I think I felt more like anything is plausible in, in, in this That's life or after. Great point, dude. And, it, and you just caught me right there is like, like my whole point was like, what the fuck? You can't prove that. But that's also some egotistical shit of like, oh. I can prove this. Mm. Where it's just like, I, I I can't conceptualize a heaven and thus it doesn't exist. Mm. Which does not feed into your idea of anything is possible. That feeds into only anything is possible that's within my brain. Mm. And that's not fair. So that, fuck dude, you just got me. curious if you could kind of explain how it feels to be a white male specifically in, in today's climate Ooh, that's a loaded question privileged would be the first word that comes to mind 
and I, I mentioned this earlier, but like I grew up in a white bubble on the South Side, and like it's funny when people think of Chicago and South Side, like oh my gosh, that's like so dangerous. But no, it's like a working class, and actually mostly um, cops and firemen, and and sadly like a, a fairly strong history of racism in the neighborhood I come from, and so I uh, I've worked to get myself out of that bubble and I've worked in like Chicago public schools for a couple years in Inglewood and tried to get out of that bubble but also having the experience of being there in mostly black super just underserved neighborhoods in our city I've, I've seen it and so i i can't help but like so much believe that this shit is fucked up part of why i'm so about outer front door why i'm like freaking chicago booster to the extreme is because i believe in this place and i believe in our ability to connect with our neighbors but at the same time like our, our segregation so much breeds our mentalities. And just as a as a student of history of our city and of our country, like I, I just can't get over the fact that this whiteness has dominated blackness in forever. Yeah. And it doesn't just go away. And as much as you want to think it goes away, it doesn't. Like there was Exactly a hundred years ago, there was a race ride in Chicago. And that shit doesn't just like fade away simply. That doesn't. On the flip side, I, I do struggle too because I can go to places where I'll be seen as a rich person, as a rich white person, which has never been an identity that I've carried within myself which I really, truly feel that I'm not. I, I really don't. I mean, I came from very working class at points, even almost poor white family. And so to like, and like the, uh, I, I, I personally just like have an aversion for, this is kind of sucky because I, I, I want to accept all people, but I have a slight aversion towards like just richness because I, I think that's a yeah. little just like a fucked up situation. Um, like, distribution of resources and people just banking money but it's fucked up to go to a place and be seen as that which is like the and you know me like that's an antithesis of what i'm about i'm about like simplicity and minimalism and like to go to a place and just be like you're just like a rich white dude and it's like yeah. fuck dude no it, it is so hard though because like you like my first word that I said to you, Joe, was privilege, and you can't help but get over that. And, like, you can't help but think about... I went to public school, but I then went to a private Catholic school. And what kind of opportunities that, did that afford me? And even, like, in the industry we're in with, like, people that get to go travel abroad, how diverse is that industry? Or even, like, go study abroad. Like, the, how like these super profound experiences in my life... People that are not white from Chicago, numbers-wise, don't get that experience. So we work at International Tefl Academy. It's a mostly white company, and and like a lot of people we work with are are white because they have the money and like the to go teach abroad or whatever they're gonna do. Um, and I was fucking freaked out by that. Like I I wanted I I like. Oh, I don't even know if I was deliberate in it, but I moved away from my white bubble and I, I worked AmeriCorps and I worked in the schools in Inglewood and and then like pursued other opportunities that put me in very diverse settings. And then I moved into ITA, which is stationed in Lakeview, Chicago, which is, if you're from Chicago, you know Lakeview is like very mostly white upper class. And into a company that was mostly white upper class. And I was like, fuck, like, in the city, like, this could be my end game. Like, I might never meet a friend of color again if I hang out here. Like, I don't know how I'm going to... And we talk, I'm on the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, and, it, and they just... We sent out a survey recently of, like, why, 
why do you want to be a part of this committee? Why'd you sign up? And I signed up for it like right when I started like three years ago. And it was that reason where I was like, holy fuck, I've been trying to get away from this white bubble. And now I just reentered in not only like a white bubble, I've lived in like a middle class, lower class white bubble. Now I'm in an affluent north side white bubble. Like, fuck, how do you get out of this? <laughs> no, but for real, like, how do you get out of it? You don't because the city's so segregated and you just don't, really you don't have opportunities to meet other people here. I don't know, I, I, I struggle with that shit because that's some shit I, I yearn for. And, and I I have, like, a couple of friends that don't look like me. And I and I don't I don't just cherish them because they look different. I'm just like, I fucking love you because you bring so much difference. My, like, we just, like, we share so many similar thoughts and in in thought process and attitudes but also so many different perspectives because of our upbringing or where we come from. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. fuck dude. I, uh, that's a major question there, Joe. This is why we, we have the podcast. I think like for, for episodes like this, where we're able to, to talk to people that are so open and willing to talk without any restraint and just being honest. Um, so definitely want to thank Glenn for, for being on this episode. Cause He's one of the mo- most rare people I love to talk to. I could talk to Glenn forever. There's very few people in this world you could just talk openly with mm-hmm. uh, about God knows how many different topics we went through within this, <laughs> these last uh, couple hours yeah, or yeah. so. So I uh, obviously want to thank uh, Andre and Nura as well for, for being here and, and joining the discussion. But Glenn, we would love to have you back again. Dude, yeah, it's pure, pure yeah. delight Thanks. hanging with you guys and talking with you guys. And I, I'm not kidding. I'll hang out and talk till four in the yeah. morning. That might happen off mic, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. no, it's been it's been pure delight. I freaking love talking with you, Joe. Yeah, and you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to say thank you for me too, because this was my first time meeting you, and yeah, you're an dude, absolutely wonderful human, human being, and like you just exude great positive energy this was, a, this was good no, you're good people amazing. dude yeah thank it's you so yeah i'm kind of sad that this episode is ending right now <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i could talk some more like because and i, I haven't felt that in a very long time i feel like we all we yeah. talked about this previously yeah. like it's very rare to like have these conversations so openly yeah. and comfortably with people at our age or the older that you get right. um so I'm, I very, I very much cherish this time, and I really appreciate it. And I, I hope that it happens more often. I love this. I love Agreed. this. This is great. Agreed. All right. So we're gonna end today's episode again. If you want to check out uh, Glenn, Glenn's organization, it's out our front door. It's oofd.org. We'll have a link to the website if you want to donate or just go for a bike ride with Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Big thanks to Glenn, Andre, and Nura for being on the show today. Uh, A special thanks to Nura for all the new graphics that you'll be seeing on the Inside Joe. And lastly, as the great poet Michelle Branch once said, goodbye to you.